Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host Connor Maxwell. So today I'm speaking to Ruth Kerrika, who works with staff and CYCJ and Ruth tells us all about her experience working with Youth Justice Voices and loads more. Without further ado, here's Ruth Kerrika. So Ruth, if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and the organisation that you work for. Great, cheers Connor. Thanks for having me along. Um, yeah, I'm Ruth Kerrika. I work on Youth Justice Voices and I work between the organisation's staff and CYCJ. So staff is Scottish Through Care and Aftercare Forum, um, which is a national membership organisation for all those involved in the lives of young people leaving care. And we're the only membership organisation for frontline workers and managers focused on through care and aftercare of young people from a care experience background. We do lots of different things from influencing policy and practice, creating platforms for care leaver and practitioner's voice, and we encourage networking and collaboration, as well as delivering learning and development opportunities. I also work for CYCJ because this is a partnership um, project and CYCJ are the children and young people centre for justice um, who work to ensure that Scotland's approach to children and young people in conflict with the law is rights respecting and contributes to better outcomes for children, young people and communities. And we focus on participation, engagement, practice and policy development and research. So how do you manage doing the two roles? It's actually, it's been like really quite a good advantage. Like at first, you, you you sort of think, oh, it could be quite difficult fitting between the both organisations. But I think we've been like really flexible and supportive because we obviously want to do a lot to ensure that care and justice experience young people are heard. So it's worked quite well and it's actually created lots of opportunities, I think, for like partners and getting young people involved. And I quite enjoy the variation between both roles as well, which is good. Yeah, totally, totally. And that, that's good then if there's a flexibility within it, it gives that more scope. And then if both of them can link in with each other as well at some point, that makes it just that bit easier, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it makes total sense as well, because they've done work previously before about the sort of criminalisation of young people in residential care. So this is partly how the project um, came about. Um, and obviously it makes sense in terms of influence um, for care and justice issues as well. So yeah, it's, I love it. Great opportunity. Brilliant. Brilliant. So could you just tell us a wee bit about Youth Justice Voices and just um, how that you guys work? Yeah, sure. So um, Youth Justice Voices is a national participation project for young people aged 16 to 25 with experience of the care and justice systems in Scotland. Um, we're funded by the Life Changes Trust and we're in the third year of our project now and um, hoping to continue and expand that. Um, but the way we work in this is it's completely young person led. So I started the post in January 2019 and we were keen to get young people involved as soon as possible so they could really steer and direct the project. And so the project was sort of meaningful for them and we focused on the issues which are important to them. So in the community we have Youth Just Us, which is our youth led steering group. And we also have Inside Out, which is for care experienced young people in Pullman. Um, and the way that we work is really it's about um, creating a safe, fun, creative space where young people can come together and um, they can talk about their experiences if they want to and they can talk about the matters which are important to them. I mean, do that really in a sort of fun way, but it's also got the element that they have got real opportunities to drive change and influence change within the care and justice systems. Um, 
and they've done a whole range of different things, which I'll, I'll go on to talk about later. Um, but I think it's just about creating the right opportunity in a space which is meaningful for young people and ensuring what we learn as well as um, goes into all the work we do at staff and CYCJ. So in terms of like implementation groups with, with the Scottish government as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, we, we always work with, we speak about um, hard to reach young people. So um, how is it, how do you find working with these young people? Because I think they would be under that category as some of the hardest to reach and hardest to engage with. Yeah, I always like trying to challenge that term as well. What we use when we're saying like hard to reach, I think about a lot of it's about us not. So our sort of focus is really on ultimately building positive relationships. So a lot of my sort of early work was first of all sort of building good partnerships with different organisations because you'll find that they're often the gatekeeper to young mm-hmm. people, and um, so they'll tell them about the project. And I think it's just as well because the steering groups are completely unperson-led, the young people obviously decide what activities they want to do, whether that's fun activities or what issues they want to focus on. So I think it makes it more meaningful for young people to take part. Um, But I think a lot of my job as well is about sort of breaking down barriers so people have the means to take part. So like during COVID, for example, I would say care and justice experience, young people as well as others are... Um, were the most digitally excluded. So it's like about, you know, providing data, devices, care packages, or going out to meet young people where they're at and giving people different ways that they want to take part. So it doesn't always have to be in the group. Um, I had one guy who I think texted me for over a year and now he's, you know, joining us on Zoom every week with his camera on. So it's great. It's just, I think, continuing to be there and offer the different opportunities and offer different activities, which people want to do and it's got some sort of value so whether it's you know skills training or they just want a space to make friends I think that's the way we work and I think that's how we've made it accessible. Yeah oh, sounds brilliant it sounds brilliant um, so youth work plays a central role in your work so could you tell us a wee bit more about why it's um, so important? Yeah I think like it's goes on what you're, you're saying about I suppose talking about if you want to use that term, hard to reach. It's the, the first and foremost, it is about taking a youth work approach. So starting where people are at and um, building positive relationships with them. Um, prior to lockdown, that would have been, you know, I could be going out to meet people, whether it was in a children's house or like we say, going into different environments and then trying to build that relationship. Um, and I think it's also really valuing as young people as experts in their life. So they, they often know the solutions to a lot of the problems that we have, whether it's in services or the care and justice system. So it's working alongside them to get the confidence to, to whether it's to speak up and out in groups or whether it's to take part in different activities. And I think as well, the way we do things, it's whilst it's about influencing change and talking about important matters, it's also about doing activities which support people to work together as a group, to have fun and also to access different opportunities out with the group. So we've had, you know, we had volunteering plays quite a big role. We had one of um, our guys who was a wee bit out of the age criteria and was really interested in getting involved. So he started off as like a peer mentor volunteer. We sort of took on that role in training and now he's working alongside me as a participation consultant. Um, So it's really great to see the power of youth work, I think. And a lot of our young people have that desire that that's a career they want to go on and do as well. 
Yeah, it's, it's great to see that progression as well when you're working with young people and individuals and then they're able to become volunteers and then into staff. It's, it's great just to see that. And I, I've had something just similar there. We've had uh, a few new sessional staff, but I've worked with these kids for a long time and know that they're, they're ready and know they want to give back. And it's a great feeling when you can achieve that. Um, so I'd like to just ask you, so see, I'd say it's hard to reach. So is there an alternative um, phrasing that would maybe use for that because terminology I quite like like seeing what because what, what we use in a certain local authority or organisation might be different than somewhere else so what would an alternative be? I think that's a, that's a really good question and that's actually something we, we talk about language quite a lot in the group um, and that like falls into even like language that young people have talked about often how they've been um, written about mm -hmm. in terms of reports and things. I'm going off tangent here, but something I suppose I'm, I'm quite passionate about. So it's, I know like uh, what I've seen is quite a positive way forward with that is in terms of if people were writing recordings and things that young people would see in the future, it's like writing a letter to the young person. Um, in terms of hard to reach, what word would I use? Um, excluded or not young people are not included maybe or seldom heard is often what what we might talk about um, but that's that I'm going to take that back to the group actually and ask them what do they think's a better term to use yeah totally so I think it's just quite interesting um, and we had a conversation um, it was with Warren Hughes there's the gambling education hub and um, there's just been a change in some of the terminology that was used um, previously for when that project started but actually how now it was about um, the terminology that was being used was um, putting like the um, owner putting the pressure on the um, person who was the problem gambler rather than um, uh -huh. the other or rather than the company. So just how a wee change in phrase can actually mean just a world of difference. So I was just interested just to sort yeah. of see where that could be because it's something that does interest as to how people speak and what they say, why they say, and how it's written and reported. Um, so yeah. I, if you speak to them, let us know. I, I'm interested yeah, to hear answer to that, and I'll do the same when um, I've got my groups back. Cool, nice one. So, um, what are the biggest barriers to care and justice experience young people being heard? I think like there's a range of different things. Um, one of the things that I've sort of came up in the project is I think first of all people sort of understanding what participation is mm -hmm. and I think there obviously is all different forms of participation and it doesn't necessarily mean that one has better value over the other but I think it's been about upfront about it so I think some of that fits in is about educating um, the workforce or others to understand what participation is and maybe to understand what meaningful participation is um, and I think what happens a lot, unfortunately, when we talk about justice experience, young people, I think there's often a lot of sort of well-intended gatekeeping. So people might think that a young person's not ready to take part in a group or isn't interested in, you know, sharing views. But I would totally disagree with that. It's about us making the opportunities that people have accessible and meaningful to them. Um, and I think there's often a fear, unfortunately, about bringing justice experienced young people together in a group, like what's going to happen? What I'd say is, well, it's saying cheesy magic happens. Like we've, it's been really, really great about bringing our young people together and we've not had issues. And it's just about us making sure our activities are, you know, fun and interesting and it's meaningful. I think other things in terms of participation as well is often 
it can be thought as quite hierarchical. So for a lot of our young people, it wouldn't really interest them to take part in a youth parliament. Like that wouldn't be for them. Um, so that's where I think like youth work comes in in terms of doing activities which allow people to express themselves and share their views. Um, but also I think making sure it's actually meaningful. So it's going to, if it is going to influence change, um, how do we do that? Who do we involve? But also ensuring that there's a feedback loop because I think for a lot of care and justice experience young people, they've been asked their views before and they're asked about the same things and then they don't hear anything back. So it can feel quite disheartening. Um, I think other things we do as well is ensuring that as if a lot of our young people are almost taking on a form of work. So if, if they're taking part, like co-producing something, for instance, with the Scottish government or within our own organisations, like maybe supporting people with sort of job recruitment and things, they should be paid for their time for doing that. Um, and they should be involved from the start. And if they can't be paid for their time, whether that affects benefits or whatever, it's about, I think, a voucher or an opportunity which would benefit them. I think that's really important. So I, so I, just, I think that that idea of payment and rewards is really, really important because then they know that they're getting something back in that as well. Um, and I think feedback is so, so important that if you don't, if people are doing um, surveys and whatever, we, we ask a lot for our young people and our families and our learners and that idea of making sure that you feed back to them and let them know what they've contributed to, however big or small that is, is so important to bring that full circle. Because um, I think then if you don't do that, you're missing out and totally. quite a lot of powerful work that could potentially happen because they might just not do it again. It's, it's all optional and choice at that point. Yeah, and I think as well, like, we try to move away from, like, it's our young people don't have to talk about their experience. So, like, we might do things and we did, like, an artivism project with graffiti and things, and that's how people express their views, which still can be just as impactful. But we're also really keen that people don't have to tell their story as well. It's about, I suppose, taking part in something that they might want to offer the solutions or ideas, but they don't have to talk about their personal experiences if they don't want to. Yeah, no, no that's good. Is it? Do you know, I think that that's really, really important. So then they don't feel that pressure as well to come in because mm -hmm. then they can still get the benefits of the group but feel secure. Mm -hmm. so, could, oh, sorry, on you go. Sorry, yeah, I was saying I should have said that earlier as well, like I suppose when we talked about youth work and, and how we work, it's always voluntary as well, so like our young people can dip in and out and we know that people have got different things going on in their lives and they also choose what they want to take part in or choose to opt out as well and I think that's really important too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so see, there'll, there'll be some people listening that have maybe never heard of um, participation at all, so would you be able just to sort of explain just a wee bit um, what participation is in terms of youth work and just in a general sense, I suppose. Yeah, so I think like obviously participation can take lots of different forms. It can be, you know, taking part in groups, taking part in activities and coming together. Um, but it can also be about, for me, I think about sort of influencing change. Um, so when I talk a lot about meaningful participation, I think it's about providing opportunities that are relevant to people's own experiences, interests and aspirations. And some of that could be influencing policy. So if we wanted to do it young person led, they would be setting the agenda and, and what they want to do. But you might also have, you know, young people take part in consultations, for example, whether that's you know, cheering their views on a matter, and that can work okay as well. I think it's just about being upfront with the young people uh, what it is you're asking them to take part in, um, what, how it might affect change, but also 
being quite upfront and honest and realistic as well about that it might not. And if it hasn't impacted on change, I think feeding back why that hasn't happened. And we did start actually during lockdown, um, just as we moved things online, a participation practitioners forum at staff. So we run that every two months. So if any listeners are interested, it's free. You can come along, you can hear about the work in our projects, but also meet up with um, other people who are interested in participation, particularly for care and justice experience young people. And there's also the Participation Network, which is hosted by Celsius, and um, I'm part of that group as well. But we do a lot of stuff about, just for people who may be starting out on, on wanting to do participation work, about a space to come together, but to learn from events and inputs and different things. So I think we see a big movement for it. And I think it's, yeah, it's getting like-minded people together to see what's possible, I suppose, within their organisation as well. Yeah, that's great. And would you be able to send us some information on the participation form? And what we can do is we can add that to the description of the podcast so then people can get quick access and then we can share it as well. Um, yeah, definitely. CYCG's got quite a good lot of resources now. So they've got um, like a guide to youth justice. And, and this year there's a chapter on participation. So that might interest people. And there's also some information sheets which are free to access around participation as well on the website. Brilliant. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so I'd just like to ask you now as well. Um, so why did you decide on a career in CLD? Yeah. Um, so I, I was quite bright at school, all right at school, but I think I got to just before, like when I was turning 16, I kind of just, I don't know, got a bit disillusioned with school and sort of left, started to lose my interest. I don't know if I didn't like authority and various things like that. Um, so I decided to leave school and I wanted to do something quite creative. So I, for a few years, I worked in sort of makeup artistry and retail, but I found what I enjoyed from that was the creative element and the part of speaking to people and the interactions I had with people is what I enjoyed the most. And I just decided I wanted to do something a wee bit more meaningful. So I decided to go back and, and do my hires at college. And then um, as I did that, I started to do support work with adults with learning disabilities. And I found like, I found sociology, psychology, these were the things I studied. And from my own experiences in my family, um, my brother went into community education and my mum worked as a clerical in comed. So I think it's always been a, a, yeah. on my agenda. Um, so I decided to go to uni um, to do that. Um, would have been, I think I graduated about 11 years ago now, but yeah, I've never looked back. I've just been really passionate about, I think, working with people to influence change. And I think, like we said earlier, working with people who are seldom heard. And um, yeah, I, I, just something I've always been really passionate about and kind of never looked back I would recommend it to anyone who's interested in in that sort of career so what did you do any other work until this did you do any like particular projects or anything that's yeah I've done a various I've always been in, most interested working I think with care and justice experience young people so I've worked in like quite a few different organizations uh, mainly third sector but I've worked like in projects that have supported young people into like outdoor education so like Venture Trust and Venture Scotland I've done work with young people around sort of peer education and homelessness um, and then I've done some work a few years ago around UNCRC um, so that was working with um, Gypsy Traveller community and um, 
again, young people with empowerment. So, yeah, I've kind of done third, set, uh, third sector, but also done loads of youth work and worked within uh, sort of local communities in, in Edinburgh um, before I went on to do this. Um, but, yeah, I feel like this is just the right role for me. It brings together, like, I think lots of my interests and um, experiences, but I still really enjoy that I can do lots of face-to-face work with young people, but also to support them to influence change. Yeah, on that, that's brilliant. It's great when you find a role that just that you really slot into that way, and you're, you feel so passionate about it because it never feels like work. It just always yeah, you're always happy to go. So no, brilliant. Um, so then, how did you guys respond during the pandemic and uh, the work that you've done? Because I, I know you says that you started in 2019 with the project, so you only a year really within, and then it was lockdown. So uh, if you could tell us just a wee bit about that, it'd be brilliant. Yeah, like. I suppose I started the Participation Practitioners Forum because um, I'd not really done, had a clue, I'd never used Zoom before, not really, we hadn't really used online engagement. Um, so really the way we started was I had a, a small core group of young people actually just finished a project. So we didn't have loads of people involved at that time. Um, but what we did was we just asked the young people uh, how did they want to take part and what was important to them. So did various things. We used Zoom as a platform, um, still usual things like texting, good old phone calls for people. And I used that with some young people who were in, um, well, young adults who were in prison as well. We kept them engaged by just speaking to them weekly on the phone and used email. So we used a different, so lots of different things. But what was important for us was like making sure that people had devices, data to take part, skilling people up so they understood how to use the different platforms. And I think as well, really focusing on self-care was quite a lot what we did at the beginning of lockdown. So bringing people together um, and we still tried to take the same approach. So if we had pizza together, I ordered pizzas to people's houses and we could sit on Zoom and eat together and have a meal. We would send people out different packs. We had the young people leading like tie-dye workshops and talking about mental health. We did loads of various things. Um, but the young people had lots of great ideas about people who might be digitally excluded. So they actually decided to create a national newsletter for care and justice experience young people. Um, and we worked on that in the early stages. So like with blogs, poems, photography, art, for people to talk about their experiences and encouraging others to contribute to it. Um, so yeah, we've kept, we've kept going and we've actually got more new young people join the group and, and we've still went on to you know, influence policy as well and some big projects during lockdown. So it's it's been difficult, but it's also been great. So I think we'll take a bit of a blended approach because it also allows people from different areas of Scotland to take part. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's one of the things that we've, we've spoke about is that we've learned all these new skills. So how do we then... Um, ensure that we're going to keep using them and keep developing on them like like the ideas and like the, this podcast never would have been able to happen if we could never zoom you know um, and so many other examples of it, even just the, the keeping in touch and keeping relationships with learners and families and even in personal life during the pandemic it, it, this sort of stuff was a lifesaver um, oh thanks so 
Yeah. Definitely. And I, I, it's great as well that you were able to provide digital devices because that, that was at the start as well, a massive, massive issue of also the, the families you might have, you didn't know, didn't, wouldn't have anything or you assumed mm-hmm. that would maybe have stuff. So um, we we done a bit of work on that as well at the start. And it's great you're able to get that sort of stuff out of there um, so that we can still engage with the young people. So. I think it's as well, it's like using the funds creatively. So other things that we knew that, you know, people are spending a lot more on electricity or or, or, or being at home. So things like a voucher was a kind of almost like a reward for people's time. Um, but for a supermarket, that's what people wanted. Or, you know, we had things like activity packs. And I think it's like trying to do things online, but you're using that creative youth work. So you might have, whether it's plaster scene or whatever, you've got, you know, different ways of people being able to take part and if people don't feel confident talking they could send in photos or like I said some people just wanted to text throughout the pandemic so it was just you know just adapting to what worked for people and what interested them I think. Yeah, definitely, and that that was the hard part. Once it, it was it was finding it was it was finding the people that it was finding, but the people finding what they wanted to do. But then the creative solutions, you know, because we were all put in that position at the same time, and we used we we stole loads of ideas that we seen on Twitter, and um, you know, and we we spoke to the young people and we tried our best, and the, the best one of the, the best things that we done the treasure hunts. See the in your house yeah. treasure hunts, you know, they were incredible. Like I've never seen like a, a group <laughs> of kids so excited to go and try and find us a spoon. You know, it was first, it was brilliant. Like, it was, stuff like that was great. Um, so so I'd just like to ask you as well. Um, so what if if you had any memorable moments or any highlights of your career that you'd like to share? I think like memorable moments are is just the phenomenal amount of work that young people involved in Youth Justice Voices like have achieved. Uh, I don't want to like just rattle off, but I think it is great for people to hear because it is down to the young people uh, um, what they've done. So um, they've got like a commendation from the Howard League Awards, which was great during lockdown. Um, we've done loads of things. We worked with No Nice Better Lives and we did that actually during lockdown online and the young people um, helped co-produce Nay Danger, which is an interactive game which aims to prevent knife crime. So we had young people like adapting the script and uh, their own sort of words and language that they would use, informing the choices that young people would make. So it was realistic and we even had young people voicing over the game as well, which was really cool. Amazing. Um, and we've also had like lockdown actually. I think we just tried to get creative and think for opportunities. So we also had four young people from Youth Just Us um, worked alongside me and were commissioned by the Scottish government um, to develop basically ways that we could um, ensure that the voices of justice experienced young people helped influence their next youth justice vision and action plan for Scotland. So we had young people developing online workshops and they were delivering that to young people in secure care and gathered views. So that's now into the published you know, action plan for Scotland. So that's really influential change that the young people have been involved right through the start. Um, other things they've done, we're working with Police Scotland at the moment on challenging stereotypes, stigma and discrimination. Um, they've done some guidance to lawyers for care experience, young people, how to support them. Um, and we also did a really cool um, graffiti project called Artivism. I'll send you actually a link to the video because we were doing that prior to lockdown. We were meant to have the exhibition within the um, 
I think it was in the week we actually went into lockdown, so we had to take that online. But now it's actually really cool. We've got a video which is voiceovered by the young people in the projects explaining their art and highlighting care and justice issues. So yeah, I'm just so I'm really just so proud of all the things that the young people have done because I think it's phenomenal and and it should be inspiring to other young people as well. Yeah, definitely. That's an amazing amount of work that they've done. It's so, so good and, and at such a high national level as well. It's amazing that they can have that influence and be able to also know that they have done that and they've achieved that as well. Oh, definitely. And I think like we, we're seeing more a movement for that and it's just, yeah, it's trying to keep that momentum going and, and trying to make that an opportunity for all young people. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, it definitely is. No, they should be so proud of themselves. It's brilliant. Um, so then, have you had any challenges or any setbacks in your career? And if so, like, um, what have you learned from it? Yeah, um, so I'm trying to think. I think some of our biggest challenges are, I suppose, what I've talked about a bit earlier. Like, I think the... Because young people have different things going on in their life, some things, but some people have had really difficult times and, like I said, dropped in and out of the, the project. So I think what we've learned from that is to keep going. Um, so even if one young person was turning up, we still offered that opportunity in a space yeah. because they were giving up their time. Um, and I think also, obviously, like I said, lockdown was quite a big challenge, but I think... We learn and we adapt by that by asking young people about how they want to be involved in things and what works for them and sort of trying to be quite creative and changing the nature of what you're doing. But also, I think for me, it's learning as well to say no. So I work quite hard to any opportunities that we have. They go to the young people to ask if they want to take part. But some of my role maybe is gatekeeping. So trying to keep the emphasis of the group of being young person led so ensuring that they have space to focus on what they want to do and whilst a consultation or issue might be important it's about making sure that they get the right amount of time to do that and the time's right for them to participate so you're not overwhelming people and I think it's just learning to sit and adapt with that um, but my advice from that if people are doing participation projects is just to keep going and and just make sure that you know it's much bigger than just the group and the outcome it's about supporting young people about what they want to achieve yeah definitely and the, I think it's really important what you'd said there as well that even if one young person turned up we still do it um yeah. there, there's examples that have probably happened as well that if if they turn up slow then you finish early but still making sure that that, well, that person showed up so let's give them this experience let's make sure they are getting what they want out of this so that, that that's so valuable as well yeah, and I think it's as well, it's like I say, not just the group, like a lot of my work out with it is, you know, speaking to young people regularly and often support in other areas of their, their life as well, because unfortunately for some of the young people involved in our, our group might not have other supports available. So it's important that you're able to offer that. And I think as well, just have a laugh and have a good relationship yeah. as well is really important. Oh. Definitely, definitely. I think having a laugh and having fun's massive to what we do. Because ultimately, if they're not enjoying themselves or not having that bit of banter or whatever, then where's this? Will they stay? You know. So, no, that's definitely, totally. Um, I just said, yeah, definitely, totally. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to need to change that one. Um, so, um, 
So this is, I suppose, is a bit of a, a broader question, and it's a question that I've asked a few times just when we've done the podcast, and some people sort of, it's a difficult one, but uh, is there something you would like to change within CLD? Um, and this is sort of just open to open to anything you've experienced and what you've seen or what you've done. Yeah, I, I think, like, it's maybe not CLD per se, but I think the issue with funding, like, mm-hmm just continually like we're having that short-term funding or short-lived projects um, which can have really big value but then people are having to sit and work into certain criteria where then there might already been a lot of great core work already going and I think like things I've seen is in terms of big changes is you know like closure of community centres and local community projects which are an absolute lifeline for for children and families and, and, and um, for older people as well, for the whole community really. So I would like to see more funding towards, you know, long-term sustainable um, spaces and places for people to get together. Cause I think that's really important. Um, also another thing I've always thought about when I sort of reflect back on um, doing the degree, which I loved and I loved all the coursework and everything like that. But I think, from the work that I've went on to do, I think covering more stuff around sort of policy and legislation and I don't know, I think in the family work I've done is you almost see that hybrid between social work and community education now. So I think having opportunities to learn about like legislation um, and policies from sort of GARFIC to, you know, social work legislation would be quite advantageous for people as well as more learning about rights as well because that impacts on everybody. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the changes and also just CLD to be recognised uh, how an important profession and career is because I think we're often the, sort of the poor man's cousin when it comes <laughs> to people thinking about like what it is you do and, and what your profession is and I think it's, you know, it's invaluable. It supports people to to make so many changes in their own lives personally but also for communities and I think... You know, you've seen so much in terms of during COVID as well, like it's community centres and local community projects, which has been the lifeline for people. So I think, you know, valuing that properly with funding um, and acknowledging what people do, I think is really important. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, that acknowledgement on a sort of um, wider scale and a national scale is really, really important. Um, I think over, over COVID, there wasn't as much sort of, Sean on CLD is, I think, a lot of his fault as well. That there mm-hmm. sort of should have been because CLD was massive and, and voluntary organisations and everybody, that proper community work and that genuine community people supporting their own community happened. And um, that needs um, highlighted and that needs Sean on. And people need to understand that and see that in a wider picture because it wasn't just local, that happened across the country. Everybody I speak oh. about mentions it, you know. Um, yeah. And it's getting that out there so that you're maybe a person who doesn't um, isn't in the sector can understand that as well I suppose um, I think that's yeah. really important so there's a bigger highlight I totally I think another thing actually while I'm, while I'm on it too is um, we obviously see a lot of um, people coming through the project who are phenomenal like you know we might have had we've had people for example in Pullman or um, adult establishments you know study for youth work and they've got the right skills and experiences and set to bring to that but going on to maybe do further education and community education or do as a role can often be a barrier because people have convictions and when it comes to things like disclosure. So I think 
there needs to be a greater understanding of um, what positive contributions people can make, how they've maybe moved on in their lives. And I think valuing and providing more, you know, professional training for people who want to use their lived experience, but then to go into roles, I think would be really good. And sort of, I think that's things I have aspirations for, looking at more accreditation and, and training to support people into employment as well. But in more areas, just in the organisations who are willing to take a really good risk, I think educating other people about the positive assets that people will difficult life experiences can bring to others, I think. Yeah, 100%, especially if it's, especially when it comes to the disclosure and the PVG type thing, um, if there can be anything that if the people have done certain amount of work, certain amount of volunteering, weighing that up, and if somebody's got a reference, I don't know, but I think that's really interesting, actually. It'd be interesting to see how that can change, and hopefully that does make a difference, because there's, I know, a couple of people that have, been impacted through that so um no that that'd be really really cool that'd yeah really cool. i think that it's a bit more dialogue about it like disclosure scotland bill has changed and as some of our young people actually met the former children young people's minister and shared that and i think particularly around childhood convictions which mm. unfortunately for some care experienced young people we are seeing more changes but often in responses in residential child care to like distressed behaviors we're often met with people not knowing how to properly support that so then you might involve the police but then if uh, if that's been if the police are involved it's often you know that's looking at uh, crimes being reported so then young people yeah. are being criminalized so it's there is movements towards that but it's educating around that as well so in distressed behaviors or behaviors you might have within your own home if you were with your parents wouldn't warrant the police being involved so why should that happen in different settings yeah definitely I've never really thought about that, to be fair, in any great depth or detail. So it'd be interesting, actually, just to see how that progresses, because I think that that idea, young people that, young people we know that have got charged for things that is, maybe isn't, in the grand scheme of things, a massive issue, but it's happened, mm-hmm. you know, and so they do have a charge on their record and how that impacts them maybe longer term. Um, mm-hmm. I, you've left maybe something to think about. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so we'll go. So the other question just now then is, um, so for you just now in your organisation, where is CLD just now, and um, how do you maybe see it changing? Yeah, so I think I touched on that um, earlier, but I think yeah, we've seen things change a wee bit more in terms of the core funding, and not often being there in terms of community centres shutting, but I think actually from the pandemic, you've seen the really important uh, local community projects and local spaces as well. So I'll hopefully see, you know, maybe we might see a shift in that and moving back to, to like old school comment is that we've, the way we sort of thought of it before. Um, I think as well, through this project, for example, we have seen young people become active citizens and are being involved in more um, decisions particularly in terms of sort of policy makers as well so I'd hope to see more of that and I think more of sort of collective activism so more to working with communities to influence change as well. It's an interesting question and that's why I always like to sort of keep it because it, it, it can spark off in so many directions and, mm-hmm. and every every person that um, I'll ask that question to has got completely different experiences so they're going to have completely different answers so then also when you're thinking about it you're formulating what what does that mean what can that be you're making lights yeah. and so no totally and I, I think it's a really 
it's a cool question because especially uh-huh. somebody in your position and in your role will have completely different experience and a different idea how that is like the, the, the idea of potentially social work and comed working closely together. No one else has sort of said that, but you'll work closer with them so you can see the links, whereas other people might not. So it's interesting yeah, for I, people then to get opinions and perceptions out there because that's what this is all about. Yeah, and I'm not saying like I'm, I, I do see the professions as both quite different, but what I've seen, I think, more reflecting on like my job previously, I um, did sort of children's work and we started up a family project within um, a local community centre and we attached to the schools and we found that because the families and parents trusted their children coming to us and having positive relationships, we weren't always giving them bad news. We were talking about all the things that they did really well. Um, so they built trust in you. And then they came to you for that support in terms of what they needed as a family, whether it was, you know, parenting or around poverty or around, you know, various different things. Um, and I think that's where I started to see that movement, that like you were working quite closely with social work, but also it falls into that, thing what we talked about earlier being the poor man's cousin so like recognizing that you actually are the right person to provide that family with support because you know their community and they've got a building trust and relationship with you and I suppose sometimes what would be to your advantage is if you knew some of the legislation before learning it through the project and through your work it might benefit and help families more I think. So this is the last question so I ask this at the end of all the podcasts um So what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? I would, obviously, if it interests you, (laughs) yeah, definitely go for it. I think, I think you, I think I'd have a a lot enough different posts that students would ask me, like, what do you think is the difference between doing social work and comed and what should I do, etc. I think obviously they're quite different, but I think community education, I think in terms of the course, it just really opens up your own mindset to a different way of thinking becoming really really reflective like that critical thinking and having a much better and deeper understanding of society but also allows you to use your own personal skills and you turn up to work as yourself but you do that within a profession if that makes sense and I think and I think just being able to see the real difference that community learning and development whether it's youth work adult learning informal education that I can bring really great big changes to people individually but also to local communities as well um, I just think it's, it's such an essential you know profession and such a essential part of society that we need to have so I, I would encourage people to go on and do it and, and to support and you can go on to lots of different opportunities I've had lots of different you know, jobs and roles within it and the skills um, and knowledge that you learn from the course, you know, you can really adapt and we're outside and cheesy. It's that praxis, isn't it? It becomes part of you, the the theory and practice together, which you evolve and learn. And um, yeah, I would recommend it. (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks very much for taking part today and joining me. It's been, for me, it's been really, really interesting just to hear the work that you do and particularly for the... um, for Youth Justice Voices and what you are doing with young people. So um, it's been great just to learn just and get that further information that I don't really currently have. So um, it's been class, so thank you. Um, so where can people find um, the organisation? Like, is there social media where they can tie in with if they'd like to get in touch? Or... Yep, we've got our own Twitter page at 
YJV Scotland, um, which you'll find out all different things about Youth Justice Voices there. You can also look at staff and CYCJ website where we've got um, our different sections. Um, on Youth Justice Voices, you can access young people's newsletters there as well. Um, and just get in touch with Ruth at staff.scot if you want any information at all. Perfect. Um, so thanks again. Really, I really appreciate you um, joining us. And Yeah, okay. Thanks for having me, Connor. Bye. <laughs> Bye. A massive thanks to Ruth for joining us on this week's COD Talks. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. It was really good and interesting to actually learn about all the work that Ruth and our colleagues do. Stay tuned for more podcasts. We'll have another one next week. And follow us on Twitter at CLD Talks where you can find out more information and keep up to date with everyone. Thanks very much. Catch you later.